There will always be a slight risk attached to hikers, who venture deep into vast areas of wilderness in the many national parks throughout the world. However, the amount of unfortunate souls who either vanish off the face of the earth during these hikes, or end up dead in odd circumstances seems excessive. Some of the incidents involving young children or inexperienced hikers are easily explained. Most hiking experts say they made common mistakes, like taking on more than they could handle, or failing to time their turn back to beat the sunset. However, what isn't so explainable how the healthy and seasoned outdoors people also end up in the same predicament, leading many to believe there is more to the thousands of disappearances and deaths than just kids wandering off or hikers becoming disorientated, and that something more sinister or unearthly is responsible. In this video, we'll take a look at some of the many thousands of bizarre and unexplained national park disappearances and deaths. John Now this is a strange one. It's a case David Polides covered in his missing 411 books, and it really is quite odd. In 2010, a family were on vacation near Mount Shasta, California. The family, who have never been named, were camping on the banks of a large creek. At around 6pm, the parents realised their three-year-old son, who we'll call John, was missing. They searched high and low for him, thinking he had run off and got lost. But after not being able to find him, they called the local sheriff and United States Forest Service. Thankfully, after an extensive search, the boy was found safe and well after being missing for approximately five hours. However, this was not the end of the story. John was found lying in a thicket directly next to a trail the searchers had been using. These were experienced searchers, so to overlook a small boy in the bushes seemed highly unlikely. Although at the time, no one gave it a second thought, as they were so delighted the little boy had been found, as usually these cases end in tragedy. But curiously, about three weeks after the incident, the family contacted David Politis after hearing about his investigation into disappearances with bizarre stories. They had become concerned about little John's account of what happened. The boy told his grandmother he didn't like his other grandma, Cappy. Cappy was John's name for his grandma. When she asked him to explain, this is what he said. Don't you remember when I was lost in the woods, and the other grandma Cappy grabbed me and took me to a creepy place? She's really a robot. It was a cave with spiders, and there were purses and guns. I was too scared, so I didn't touch anything. But when she climbed the ladder, the light made her look like a robot. There were other robots too, but they didn't move. She made me lay down to look at my tummy, then she tried to get me to poop on sticky paper, but I couldn't go. She told me that I am from outer space, and they put me in my mum's tummy. Then she took me back to the river and said to wait under the bush until someone found me. John also told his grandmother, the other grandma Cappy had the same hair, feet, and face as her. Understandably, grandma Cappy was deeply concerned that there may be some kind of doppelganger taking on her image to abduct her grandson. However, she got the impression that her grandson may have been talking about a hologram because of the way he described the light sparking on the strange woman. She called her son, the boy's father, who told her that John had told them the same story a few days earlier. In normal circumstances, the family would have written off the boy's explanation as a child's overactive imagination, if it weren't for a strange experience that Grandma Cappy had also had a year earlier. 
She was camping in the same area near Fowler's campground in McLeod, California, when she woke up one morning face down in the dirt, having been removed from her tent and sleeping bag. On the back of her head was a puncture wound. She also felt violently ill and strangely emotionless. At first thought, she thought she'd been bitten by a poisonous spider, but later discovered her companion, who'd been sleeping in a separate camper, also woke up with a bite on the back of his neck and felt unwell. The pair were completely bewildered. The only odd thing that had happened during the trip was they recalled seeing red eyes shining through the trees in their flashlights the night before, but just assumed they were deer. So what happened to John and his grandmother? Were the incidents linked? And were they, as many believe, a classic case of alien abduction? Or is there a more plausible explanation? What do you think? Thalma Pauline Melton On September 25, 1981, 58-year-old Thalma Pauline Melton, known to her friends and family as Polly, went hiking with two friends named Red and Trula. The trio set out on the Deep Creek Trail in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, Tennessee, at about 3pm. Polly was walking particularly slowly, and her two friends lightly teased her about it. Polly had a few medical issues which she took medication for, but was normally more than capable of keeping up with her friends, and she was well used to Creek Trail. At about 4pm, they headed back to the campground, where Polly's husband Bob was waiting with their trailer. All of a sudden, Polly started walking faster and faster, and at first, Red and Trula thought it was in response to their earlier teasing. But Polly soon outpaced them, eventually disappearing from view. When Red and Trula reached Polly's trailer at about 4.30pm, they assumed Polly would be there with Bob, but when he said he hadn't seen her, panic set in. The friends frantically searched for Polly, retracing their steps and asking other hikers if they had seen her, but no one had. After two hours of searching, they notified the park rangers who contacted the police. Police officers attempted to follow Polly's tracks since the sole of one of her shoes was distinctive. It had a crack across the ball of the foot. They were able to track her for a while, but her footprints eventually became obscured by the tracks of others. From what they could tell, however, it didn't appear that she had wandered off the trail. Over 150 people and nine search dogs aided in the search. The search dogs managed to pick up her scent on a tree that had fallen in the woods. The authorities didn't find this significant and assumed that Polly had probably rested there at some point. The search turned up nothing else and the search officially ended on October 2nd. Nothing has been seen or heard of Polly since. A few odd things about the very private Polly did turn up after her disappearance. It was known that she volunteered at the Presbyterian Nutritional Center and had been doing so for four years, during the months she stayed in Deep Creek. Oddly, the day she went missing, she chose not to volunteer there, which was unusual. Her superior also said that she had never used the center's phone in four years of volunteering there, that is until the day before she went missing, in which she used the phone several times. No one knows who she spoke to, and they were unable to trace the calls. Her minister said that she had alluded to having an affair with another man, and that she felt very guilty about it, although no one else in her life knew anything about this mystery man, and police were unable to trace him. So how does someone completely disappear off the face of the earth? Some have theorized that she ran away to start a new life with her mystery man, and got ahead of her friends, 
so she could meet him in a nearby parking lot and disappear. The strange phone calls the day before, and the fact that she uncharacteristically chose not to work at the center that day, seemed to lend credence to this theory. However, she left behind her blood pressure and nausea medication, as well as her ID and her bank account was never touched again. It is also known that prior to her hike, Polly had prepared sauce for the spaghetti she intended to cook for supper, not the actions of somebody who was intentionally going to disappear. No one in Polly's family believed she would leave of her own free will, and fear she met with foul play. However, six months after her disappearance, something odd happened. A check in Polly's name was cashed in Birmingham, Alabama, about 300 miles southwest of where she vanished. The check was for interest due on a bank certificate. When authorities looked into it, they found that the signature on the check appeared to be Polly's. Strangely, Polly's only known bank account in her name was in Jacksonville, Florida, and that account hadn't been touched since her disappearance. So what happened to Polly? Did she meet an unfortunate end? Or is her disappearance a case of intentional vanishing? What do you think? Paul Fugate The mysterious disappearance of park ranger Paul Fugate has puzzled those who knew him for many years. About 2-3pm on Sunday, January 13, 1980, law enforcement ranger Paul left the visitor center in the Chiricahua National Monument in Arizona and was never seen again. Paul was the only member of the permanent staff at the monument on duty that day and had left instructions with a seasonal employee that if he wasn't back before 4.30pm, to begin to shut down without him. Paul had left his radio and key behind in the ranger station. When Paul didn't return after dark, a full-scale search was mounted. The only solid lead they had came from Dick Horton and his wife, an acquaintance of Paul, who described seeing him on the afternoon of his disappearance, wearing his uniform and slumped unconscious between two men in a pickup truck. Other witnesses also claimed to have seen a truck in the area, a search of Paul's home showed that he had left behind his wallet, $300 in cash, a valuable gun collection, expensive camera equipment, and a truck he was restoring. Investigators also found an unfinished life insurance application and a check that his wife Dottie had written to Paul, reportedly in preparation for her to join him in June that year from Tuscan, where she was living. Apparently Paul and his wife had a somewhat open relationship and Paul was known to have had many affairs. His latest girlfriend was pregnant with his child. Following his disappearance, the Park Service declared Paul was officially missing and posted a $5,000 reward for information. His family matched that sum. The official search lasted just over two weeks, but turned up nothing. There are many theories surrounding Paul's mysterious disappearance, including a sighting of him in Bend, Oregon, three years after he disappeared leading many to believe he may still be alive. Some have also questioned his wife's decision not to go to the monument until four days after Paul's disappearance, and why her residence was never searched and she was never asked to provide an alibi. Apparently she stayed in Tuscan in case she was contacted for a ransom demand. Paul was known to have been an authoritarian and had many run-ins with his bosses, once being dismissed for having long hair and a handlebar mustache but was later reinstated. The National Park Services refused to list him as deceased for six years, meaning his widow was unable to collect benefits, and he wasn't confirmed dead until 1986. 
The most recent twist in the case came in June 2018, when the NPS announced it had discovered new information about Fugate's case, and together with the Cochise County Sheriff's Department, asked for help from the public in solving the mystery. The NPS also announced it was increasing the reward offered for solid leads from $20,000 to $60,000. There is no further information on what prompted the case to be reopened, and to date, the disappearance remains a mystery. Cullen Finity 30-year-old Cullen Finity was a quarterback who played at Grand Valley State University and won three NCAA Division II football championships and had more than 50 wins with them. On May 26, 2013, he went on a fishing trip on the Baldwin River in Michigan, but later that evening, he called his brother in distress. He said he didn't know where he was and felt he was being followed. After he did not return home from the weekend trip, friends and family joined local authorities in an extensive search to find him. Over 100 people volunteered to search for Cullen in the dense woods near Baldwin, Michigan. Two days later, Cullen's body was found near a busy road about a mile from his camp. There were no signs of trauma and he was dressed for the elements. The initial autopsy was inconclusive and the toxicology report was negative, meaning substance abuse was not the cause of his death. There were no bruises, marks or injuries evident either. Cullen's fishing boat was still docked in the water and his camp set up as if he'd never left it. So why was he so frightened that he abandoned his boat and fled into the woods? The final autopsy report concluded it was likely Cullen became anxious, disorientated and paranoid from being alone in the woods, causing him to run. He died of pneumonia, brought on by inhalation of vomit, after he became panicked, possibly because of oxycodone, combined with having CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, caused by head trauma during his football career. However, further brain analysis by Boston University showed CTE was unlikely to have contributed to his death, and those close to Cullen vehemently deny that football caused his death. So what happened to Cullen Finity? To date, no one really knows for sure. Was this really a case of oxycodone toxicity and CTE caused by his football career, or something far more sinister and unexplained? What's your thoughts? Douglas Legg Santanoni is located in remote Essex country, New York, surrounded by forests, lakes, and wilderness. Today, the preserve has been restored to its former glory and is a designated National Historic Landmark, but the land and its surviving buildings hold a dark secret. On Saturday, July 10, 1971, eight-year-old Douglas Legg and his uncle set out on a hike around the Santanoni property. Dougie was the grandchild of the estate owners, the Malvin family, and that weekend, the extended family had gathered together for one last vacation before the estate was sold. As they walked, Douglas's uncle realized that on the route, they were going to encounter some poison ivy. And as Douglas had shorts on, he thought Douglas should run back to the camp and change into long pants. Although Douglas was only eight years old, he was well used to the area and very experienced at hiking. And as the camp was just a short distance away, he returned on his own. His uncle waited and waited, but Douglas did not return. Thinking his nephew had probably got sidetracked, he made his way back to camp, where he met Douglas's older brother, 
who confirmed he'd seen Douglas near the main lodge building. One of the boy's cousins also said that he had seen Douglas. When the uncle told them what had happened, the family immediately started a search for the boy, sweeping the entire area, but turned up nothing. As the evening approached and the temperature dropped, they notified authorities and an official search was launched. The ensuing search would be one of the largest the state of New York had ever staged. However, despite the most up-to-date search and rescue technology and around 1,000 volunteers combing the area, they found no sign of Douglas. The only slight lead they got was when a bloodhound picked up the boy's scent and followed it for around 30 miles over rugged terrain, which would have been nearly impossible for such a young child to have navigated on his own. The trail ended at a pond, which was subsequently dragged and drained, but nothing was found. There were no further leads, and after six weeks, the state police called off the search. Over the years, a few strange things have surfaced. In 1993, a woman claimed that Dougie had been kidnapped and killed by her relative, and his body dumped in a lake in Lewis County. Officials searched the dry lake bed, only to learn that the woman was a psychiatric patient suffering from false memory syndrome. Then around the same time, a man came forward to report to officials that in 1973 was hunting in the area. He had found a small skull and partial skeleton, which he believed to be human. He didn't report it in 1973 because he had been on Navy leave and shouldn't have been hunting at the time. He also claimed he didn't know about the child's disappearance and only realized this significance when he heard the news reports about the renewed search for Dougie based on the woman's false story. Despite the time that had passed, the area was thoroughly searched but turned up nothing. More recently in 2020, members of the New York State Police Troop B underwater recovery team were training at a lake in front of the Santononi estate and came across an unidentified skull fragment. However, after analysis, it was determined to be non-human. So what happened to Douglas? Did he become lost in the wilderness he knew so well? Was he kidnapped and is still alive somewhere? Or was something more sinister or otherworldly responsible? Like so many of these disappearances, we might never know. And although the case is officially still open, there are no new leads, and the tragic vanishing remains frustratingly unsolved. Only the wilderness of the Santononi estate knows the answer. So that's it for these mysterious national park disappearances and deaths. Thanks for watching. Remember to check out this video's sponsor by clicking on the link in the description or comment section below. And as always, we'll see you in the next video.